Greetings. You're listening to the audio version of Up the Waterfall. To see us and everything we talk about, be sure to check out the video version by visiting youtube.com slash Xanaland. Thanks for listening. Well, now you got into this mess by going down a waterfall. Now, how would you suppose we'd get them out of there? By going up the waterfall. That's right. Anything's possible in Disneyland. Episode 31 of Up the Waterfall with your hosts, Zana and Scott Otis. Hello. This week, we're jumping into the time machine, not to be confused with your time machine vehicle. That's a different episode. <laughs> and we're journeying back to the original Epcot Center future world attraction, World of Motion, presented by General Motors. Of course, this is a favorite of both Scott and mine. Uh, I think it stands right on par with Horizons as far as storyline goes. Yes, it, it is. I mean, I, for a long time, when Horizons kind of went away after, for, after a long while, it was the one that I missed the most. And then after I got thinking about it, yeah, I really started missing world emotion, yeah. if not, you know, the same amount, if not more. I agree. And to help us celebrate this incredible attraction, we've brought in our first ever Up the Waterfall guest, Friend, historian, writer, author of the Progress City Primer, Stories, Secrets, and Silliness from the Many Worlds of Walt Disney, published in 2015, as well as the ProgressCityUSA.com website, and the recently returned Progress City Radio Hour. And he's our good friend on top of that, Michael Crawford. Thank you for joining us, Michael. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you here with us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. This this first guest will live in infamy. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Probably so. Um, before we jumped in, just in case, you know, we never know who's listening or if anyone knows who we are, of course. So I wanted to give a little backstory of how we all kind of met and became friends. Um, it was many moons ago on the original Disney Twitter before uh, we yes. even really called it that. And around t- 2009, 2010 is when I joined in and you guys were all doing your own thing there was you know michael was there foxy hooves was there george from imagine nerding uh and you guys would talk about amazing things disney history and it would happen late at night usually yeah the chummery (laughs) we we called ourselves the chummery yeah and I would usually join in the next day until I realized, hey, I need to stay up late if I want to talk to these guys at all. And of course, I didn't really have much to add at all. I was just like, yeah, I remember that. It was cool or something. Um, But anyway, it was a fun time. And, you know, eventually I met Michael for the first time at Destination D here in Walt Disney World. Yeah, it was 2011. I actually met him at the Destination D, the first one, at 2010 at Disneyland. And oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't sentient in the D23 world yet at that point. So I <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I didn't go to those. You joined later. I did. And I was and very was excited um, to meet him. And yeah. And then, you know, we saw each other at Expo and things like that after that. And he was at our wedding when we got married. So oh. it was <laughs> a fun time all around. And you then went to like, you lived in LA and were working out there. And then you came back and 
are here in Orlando, so mm-hmm. we're excited yeah, and it's... happy to have you here. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's been a wild decade, I guess, <laughs> since our first meeting. It's been kind of crazy. Yes. So we'll jump right in. I think part of what makes World of Motion so beloved is the same thing that makes um, the original Future World attractions so wonderful and so memorable. And that is, of course, the perfect storm of great narration, great background music that, you know, weaves its way throughout the whole attraction um, in different arrangements, relatable scenes and characters that, you know, make you chuckle um, if they're doing their job and uh, things that make you want to find out how did they do that? Would you all agree? I would. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, again, the, the sheer scope of the attraction this was a big attraction with a ton of animatronics and uh, a lot of special effects a lot of big show scenes it was a very long ride uh, it was i think more than 14 minutes long and so uh, it was a big spectacle yeah unheard of in this day and age <laughs> and it was a fairly large building as well yeah i think that's part of what just walking up to it and seeing that it went outside and it was this huge reflective wheel yeah. that just made you want to go inside and find out what was going on in there. Um, but I think you guys can probably speak to this more than me, it, where its origins were really with the Ford's Magic Skyway. Ah, uh, yes. yes. <laughs> Michael, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, for the uh, 64-65 New York World's Fair, Disney had uh, approached... Ford uh, for to sponsor an attraction, and they did the Ford's Magic Skyway, which was kind of intended to uh, roll out the new Mustang, uh, <laughs> which was the hot thing at the time. That's right. And it was a trip through history, you know, riding in a Ford automobile, and you'd see dinosaurs and cavemen, and it would sort of take you through. Uh, that in the origin of the wheel and then wind up in a, in a sort of futuristic city. So yeah, that, that kind of thing that you would always see when you're driving in your brand new Ford Mustang. Exactly. <laughs> Dinosaurs exactly. And, and cavemen. Dinosaurs and cavemen, yeah. <laughs> so when it came time to uh, do Epcot, uh, General Motors didn't want to let Ford uh win again and so they stepped up and became the actual first sponsor to sign on for all of Epcot yeah, Center. Yeah, that's right. It was, they were the oh, very wow. first sponsor. Uh, I think that was what, 1977? Yeah, the end of 1977 and wow. that really played a big part in helping the entire Epcot project go forward because it gave Cardwalker a little bit of confidence that this might work. Yeah, and having such a big name like uh, General Motors, it helped uh, get a lot of the other sponsors for all of the other attractions and the pavilions yes, there totally. so cuz that's a big name and they that was a 10 year contract right that's right yeah all the big sponsors were uh, 10 year contracts they signed them to so and you're right it was a prestige thing so it really did help bring other people on board once you had a company as big as general motors Everybody else fell yeah, in line. And even I, th- I think at that time, they were probably the biggest company in the country, if I'm not mistaken. It Definitely in the top five. <laughs> so how much of Ford's Magic Skyway ended up 
in World of Motion. There was. It wasn't the caveman. Uh, yeah, there are a few things um, ish, right? Yeah, the, I would say it was the the caveman. The idea of you know the the foot power um, came through, and the the presentation of the wheel to the king oh. that was that came direct directly from there, with the uh, you know the idea of those the failed um, wheels, if you will, <laughs> being like the triangle and the square that didn't quite you know past muster but it was the round one that yeah so that that scene actually came uh, straight from there hmm. were there any others michael uh not really well that and the futuristic city at the end uh, yes. really ties it together the other aspect the dinosaurs wound up at the universe of energy so yeah a lot of that wound up in the sh in epcot but kind of in different places in the actual dinosaurs of course um were shown at the the primeval world section of the the, the Disneyland Railroad uh, in between Tomorrowland and Main Street, as a lot of you may know. <laughs> but the cavemen did not survive to Disneyland. Womp womp. Um, I think another one of the main parts that made World of Motion so great was Gary Owens as the narrator. <laughs> which I didn't even realize back in the day who that was that was narrating. It wasn't until I, you know, looked up years later. I was like, oh, wait, because I used to watch reruns of laughing on like Nick at Night or whenever it was on like yeah. in the 80s yeah. or something. <clears throat> so I think he just really had the perfect like straight man narration to go with the visual gags that were happening in front of you. Yeah, I never uh, I never grew up watching that show either and so I was introduced to Gary Owens from World of Motion it was later that I uh, found out that he was you know he's got that classic voice um, that's just perfect as the narration for that attraction because he's kind of the straight man to the uh, the hilarity of the scenes that, that we were being presented with he basically the idea being that you know he's basically showing that transportation you know, we're making such strides and everything's so perfect and what we're seeing is anything but you know kind of like the idea of perfect transportation but it being kind of foiled yeah and he's very enthusiastic too he's really this sort of sort of chipper everything is great kind of narration it's perfect part of what made the visual gag so great was of course ward kimball being behind um designing those fun scenes is that true uh, yeah, he uh, he contributed uh, quite a bit. Also, his his love of transportation, uh, his love of trains and uh, vintage automobiles, uh, really contributed a lot of knowledge uh, and reality uh, to the props and the propping out of the attraction. But also, Mark Davis, yes, was a huge influence. Uh, Mark did a lot of the gags. The way it was set up, you know. Like most Epcot pavilions, it began with Claude Coates. And Claude was on it at first and had a really kind of a more film-based attraction. Kind of, um, think about if you had wings and some of the things that he worked on that were really about staging scenes around film and sort of lightly dimensional sets and then lots of film. So that's what he had been working on. And then in 1977, they brought in uh, Mark Davis and Exitensio, and they started adding in gags 
And then in 78, Ward Kimball was called in and they, between Mark and Ward, they made it less film-based and more humorous. And then uh, they stayed on to add, add sort of gags to it. So a lot of that humor, it started off being not so humorous a thing. And then they came in and being such great gag men added yeah. in a lot of that humor. And there must have been a lot of confusion then because I think with their egos, uh, they probably, you know, each one probably thought that they were the head of this uh, <laughs> project. And maybe there might have been some confusion there. Right. In the uh, great uh, Chris Merritt, Mark Davis book, there's oh a lot gosh. of talk yeah. about how, um, you know, Claude didn't like the change in focus to being less serious. And then, you know, you basically had Claude and Mark and Ward, both three creative directors. And, you know, um, Mark didn't like how Ward was staging his gags. And, you know, nobody really knew who was officially, officially in charge. And so, there was sort of, uh, you know, Claude went off to work on what became Horizons, and by the end, it was sort of Ward who was left standing to sort of set things up and set, set everything up. But despite all that, I think what we ended up with was still quite an attraction. Yeah, I can't imagine it being just like a serious, you know, film and props situation. Right. But it turns out there actually was quite a bit of film um, throughout maybe not um, exactly uh, live action film, but like some animated sequences that would accompany a lot of the scenes, whether it just be like turning wheels or various uh, bit modes of transportation kind of moving along. They, they often had um, video segments that were running throughout. And of course the speed tunnels. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that is the remaining major Claude influences. Even after he had moved on to work on other things, he stayed to work on those speed tunnels because that's like pure Claude Coates yeah. kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's his lingering influence. And, and we got three of them, three yeah. speed tunnels. And, and actually, having grown up at Disneyland myself, I, I remember those from the People Mover out there that they, ha they had them there as you were kind of winding around the, um, the America Sings attraction, which they then later turned to the uh, Tron uh, super speed tunnel so right, right and then they brought that to uh to world of motion which at the time i don't think i realized was tron either i was just like oh cool shapes well, actually didn't they <laughs> but have I did later uh, a portion of that in the if you had wings finale the tron thing no not tron oh not <laughs> tron but say. there was yeah there, there was, was a speed, speed room yeah. yeah for sure i loved those so much as a child they were just yeah, like yeah. a chance to either immerse yourself and like feel like you were actually moving through whatever was being shown or you could just turn around and see like yeah. how everything worked and see where things were coming from and what was underneath you and yes. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> totally. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lost start. It's time I know. to bring those back. Exactly. So, yeah, I remember that animated sequence being from Tron, but I guess a lot of guests didn't. They thought it was maybe just kind of like mystical modes of transportation yeah i think you know when i was first on it that's what i thought and then later i was like hey that's the same shape that's in tron that's right of that big thing <laughs> you know the technical term <laughs> um yeah i mean the the scenes and the everything just meshed together so perfectly and i think you mentioned before michael that there's so many props there's 300 3375 props that's a lot of props. And including 
the locomotive was built, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, from scratch, but to scale. I, I believe so. And uh, the bi- World War One biplane was also built. But then other things were like actual vehicles. Yeah, they had and a stuff. lot of the vintage vehicles uh, that they were able to find and, and populate throughout the attraction. Yeah. And I always thought the the scene where you're going through and it had like the cars with all the different like signs written on them and stuff like that. I was just reading about this earlier. It said they were like two thirds scale or something like that. Is that true? And if I so, think they were actual cars. That's what I thought. Cars. Yeah. It didn't make any sense when I was reading them. Like, what do you mean? How do you like if they were authentic cars? How do they become two thirds scale? It made no sense to me. I think that might have been confused with something else that might have been scaled down. But hmm. I'm not sure what. I don't know what it was, but oh well. I thought I'd get clarification, so glad to know they were mm-hmm. real because they looked real. <laughs> that was always a fun scene too, just to see all the different people and what they were saying and stuff was going on behind them. It was a fun time. But of course, we cannot forget the finale, the center core. I love that so much. I wish that there was better video of it so I could watch it a million times and listen to the music (laughs) and just be transported back. What was interesting about that was that it was so ethereal. I mean, there was nothing that really um, specifically represented any mode of transportation. It was, it was, you know, a lot of little moving bits of light that made it, you know, that you weren't quite sure what you were looking at, but it was so massive. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that. uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, In uh, looking back at some of the the memos at the time and the sort of creative process that went into this, it started off as a much more specific vision of kind of they wanted it to be a more specific vision of like a futuristic city, but uh, GM wanted it to be like what you were saying, Scott, not specifically defining any uh definitive transportation systems it was just meant to suggest like movement and motion and freedom and that sort of thing and that's really very intentionally what they wanted to do right and i think a lot of that uh the feelings that the guests had as they were writing through that was because of the music that was that was so um I don't even know how to say it other than <laughs> ethereal. <laughs> well, when I was writing yeah. my, my notes up for it, I wrote that it was like very Star Trek-y. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the, the part where the the lady's like singing very like operatic, you know, like wow. verse. But it's still, it's fun to be free. It's still the same melody, but it's just so different oh, yeah. and unique. It definitely slowed down at that Yeah, point. for sure. And that's what I miss so much about Epcot is like the music is just it was so present everywhere and it was all connected and i think right, right. that final scene was just like the culmination of all of the different versions of it's fun to be free and then like you were saying how there was different types and speeds of movement like there would be things moving really fast there would be slow elevators going up and it was just so you saw a different thing every time you went through and then of course the black light just made it all the more magical and oh yeah wondrous yeah and i guess <laughs> i didn't even realize at the time that that was probably i think the only scene 
within the entire attraction that was um, that took up the entire height of the entire 65 foot building is that true uh, Michael yeah that's right and that's the thing a lot of people don't like get from pictures and things like that it's like Zana said I wish there was better documentation it's just one of those scenes that doesn't photograph well especially on video a video of the 80s um <laughs> And people don't grasp the scale. Occasionally, I post pictures on Twitter of, like, the construction of it with, like, people down there. And only then, when you see it with, like, people in the set, do you realize how huge it was. It really was just an enormous illusion that these guys worked on. And it was, you know, Waythel Rogers and Yale Gracie and Chris Runko and Mark Fuller, like, these effects guys. And... Uh, it was just an incredible scene. <laughs> and the music, like you said, it's one of the best Epcot music cues of all. And I it's something that I always put on my Epcot mixes because yes. it's a really sort of dreamy, mm -hmm. relaxing kind of tune. Yeah. Right. And actually started um, in the queue is something completely different where, you know, the kind of it was a lot more whimsical. Uh, as you're waiting to board the vehicle, uh, lots of different variations of the uh, It's Fun to Be Free song. Yeah, there's so many different <laughs> people singing that song throughout the ride, including the. Yeah, and it would kind of take you through time and yeah. uh, sort of different like genres of music. But do you remember how it would do, like it would play like, like a ragtime kind of version or mm -hmm. something like that? But then it would have overhead, and I guess they had them sequenced through the speakers, where it would sound like like um, like a fire engine or something, or a jet airplane. Yeah, different different would like be coming overhead. Yes, yeah, would be passing yeah. over your head. Exactly. Like so cool. a helicopter or other <laughs> various things. Yeah. Boat. So yeah, and that, but I I didn't want to just leave on that note i wanted to kind of go through a little bit oh more yeah of the go through well each scene if you want i'm fine with that <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't not talk about you know the thing that kind of drew you to, you know the one part of the ride vehicle that actually went out of the building and wrapped around yes. you know, the pole at the at the front so basically there's this one little track that just kind of does a almost a 180 where it's kind of increasing, basically going from the load platform on the first floor to where all the show scenes are on the second floor. It essentially exits the building and wraps around, uh, increasing in height. And that, to me, that was always, you know, a lot of fun, even though you weren't really seeing any show scenes. It was that one, it was probably one of the better vantage points. Oh, of yeah. Epcot you could get Center your great photos of Spaceship Earth, and if you were lucky, the monorail going by. Oh, yeah. Lots yes. Of blurry photos of that from me, I'm sure. <laughs> it was really and, just a great vista, and Horizons was right there, too. Yes, so. exactly. And then seeing it at night, it was a completely different experience, oh, yeah. and that was always super cool. Epcot at night, that's like a whole episode, right. I think. So I, I, did, I did want to kind of um, go through some of the more of the show scenes. I, I just didn't want to uh, ignore. No, I know. Those. I went to the end really quick because I love no, it so okay. much. We can revisit it again. <laughs> so, you know, the very first thing that you would enter is, you know, you'd be in, as soon as you exited that portion, you would be in complete darkness and then you'd see little footprints uh, going all around, including above you. 
for some reason. But you'd also get that wonderful <laughs> air conditioning oh, right. blowing on you. Yes. Which was, <laughs> yes. at some points, the best part. Yes, in Florida. You were finally sitting down in the vehicle, and then you got the air conditioning on you. So yeah, because like even though the, the, the queue would, would always be very uh, fast-moving, it was always, uh, you know, you'd be thanking that, that you finally had a seat. You were traveling. Yeah. I think, you know, back in the day, that was when all of us were certainly visiting Epcot as a, like, opening to close scenario. Oh, yeah. Not like now where we're just like, oh, we'll go in for lunch. Well, not <laughs> right. right now, but, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, th- that it's at that point that you would see these cavemen uh, kind of blowing on their feet. Because at this portion in, in time, the only thing that we had was foot power. And that's how we got around. And it was uh, shortly after that that we realized that we could actually use these uh, beasts of burden to get around and kind of ride on the backs of, uh, I guess in this show scene, they actually had all kinds of various animals, including oxen and zebras, of all things. Yes. And I think they even threw in, for some reason, a flying carpet. Yeah, that was a Ward Kimball edition. That was uh, this was a, a scene that Mark Davis came up with, but Ward added in that flying carpet because he wanted that in there. And what's funny is that in the, a lot of the um, the uh, the um, the marketing that they would have for this attraction, they would often show that flying carpet. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to go on a ride with a flying carpet? It's a good yeah. selling point, I guess. <laughs> But anyway, after that, that after uh, seeing all of these uh, animals that were just kind of struggling, and, and a lot of them had very exaggerated faces, like they were being forced to do things beyond even their abilities, uh, it's at that point that we got to the creation of the wheel, which was that funny gag where a lot of these uh, essentially inventors were trying to come up with the perfect thing, and one guy had made the triangle wheel one had made a square and the other one you know a circle and like the king had to choose between of those three and i think i think he made a wise choice with the uh the round yeah. one and he was happy too he was yeah he was, he laughing. was doing his little giggle which i used to imitate <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean there's so many funny and fun like sound effects that came from you know specific animatronics or whatever back in the day that I'm sure they're ingrained in all of our brains like I won't do it now I'll spare you and I think uh, at this point we can say that because of the sheer quantity of animatronics the 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 range of motion for all of these animatronics wasn't the greatest in the park it didn't have the 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 most amount of fluidity or anything they had very simple uh, things that they were doing because there were so many basically you were seeing stuff on the left, on the right. Uh, you're just kind of looking all around, and so you, you didn't really need to have uh, as much with them. Yeah, I think we were a lot less concerned with how advanced uh, animatronics were yeah. back then. We were just like, oh, there's so well, many. Or and and that, because of the sheer quantity on, on this one, yeah, I think that kind of, that was the wow factor. Right. Well, and a lot goes into how they're staged and even goes back to like Mark Davis's, the way he would draw gags and set them up. There's like a lot of implied motion. Yeah. Uh, there's, it's how the characters are posed 
at this like key moment where you can tell what the motion is even if there's not a lot of actual physical motion it it's a it's a sort of trick and like you said there's stuff everywhere to see so you were looking all over the place and there was motion everywhere it just wasn't you know advanced animatronic motion and in addition to the animatronics as i mentioned before that's where they had a lot of the uh kind of the animated film sequences where like if there was kind of like a, a spare wall they would have like even just like a bunch of wheels just turning around at, at this one point in a lot of transitions uh spaces had this too just kind of like to always have some form of motion no matter which where you were that's true yeah i think ken o'connor who was an artist i think he did a lot of those like crazy flying machines and things mm-hmm. like that that were always just oh, kind yeah. of there in the background. I forgot about those. Yeah, and then at this point, that's where we got to the used uh, chariot lot, which was kind of funny because with all of these uh, applications of the wheel, now you have all of these things that are kind of like used and they're trying to get rid of, including the, the Trojan horse of all things that had only been used once. <laughs> it was on sale, wasn't it? That's right. <laughs> Yeah, and then, of course, they had a, 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 a stereotypical kind of like a used car salesman kind of a guy trying to unload some some lemons, if you will. <laughs> and that's where you get to the uh, sailing ships. That's where you, uh, you now have the uh, idea of taking ships across water and going over more um, vast, uh, I was going to say land, but in, in this case it's sea. <laughs> and they have that one scene where the... The guy on the ship who's kind of looking through his little uh, periscope, or not periscope, what is that? Telescope. <laughs> yeah, that. It's a little uh, spyglass. Yeah, yeah. spyglass. Yeah, spyglass is looking straight into the eye of a, a sea serpent. I this is one that was serpent. always in the ads. This oh, yeah. was they. This is the one they always used for things. Because the sea serpent kind of like doing his like, he's got only one eye open, <laughs> staring right into it, which is kind of funny. And, of course, this leads into Leonardo da Vinci's uh, studio where he's uh, kind of working on a flying contraption while Mona Lisa is impatiently waiting to be painted. So I guess he's kind of drifted off of that project <laughs> and onto this other one. And that flying machine didn't quite work out. Yeah, she's I tapping her toes. Yeah. She's unhappy. I always loved that scene because I never really thought about Mona Lisa the person beforehand yeah. and then I was like oh I wonder what she was yeah, like and it made me think I <laughs> always wondered like is that a smile or not but here you could tell yeah she's not smiling <laughs> like, hey what about me and uh, yeah so those those flying m- machines didn't quite pan out but they will later and that's uh, when they had the fame balloon, the balloon. I've I've retracted my we did a Jules Verne episode and I was convinced that the balloon scene from World of Motion had to have been from 100 or whatever, uh, 80 around days, the around the world days. in 80 days. Oh, yeah. But yeah. since looking at photos and, and everything, I guess I'm wrong. So You're not wrong. I think the <laughs> idea is there. Same spirit. Yeah, this is a French guy. But <laughs> yeah, just but yeah it's yeah, the same spirit, spirit, same era. <laughs> era. Yeah. yeah. With a fun pig with him yeah, in the basket. If, if you're going to fly in a uh, hot air balloon, what better way to travel than with a giant pig? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. And, of course, then that takes us into the steam era, 
where uh, we have the introduction to steam power. Where uh, what, what's going on in that scene, Michael? They have a uh, steam-powered contraption that has uh, sort of run off the road, and there's a bull that has escaped. Yeah, he's he's been fenced in, but uh, he's kind of escaped. This was my least favorite scene because it was so loud and scary, and I didn't like him. I wasn't a fan of dinosaurs originally either. Like I would go to um, Universe of Energy, but I was very reluctant because i did not like scary things and to me the bull was very scary and he was so loud yeah you kind of turn a corner would... and he'd be there grunting yeah pretty, pretty it's loud funny thing. because i was always scared of the sea serpent it was the sea oh, serpent wow. that did it for me and i would want to be on the other side of the car from where the sea serpent because i you know you knew where he was going to be exactly so you wanted to be on the other side of the car yes. from that <laughs> That was like my kids in the great movie ride with Alien. Okay. Oh, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> and me For too real. a little bit. <laughs> and, of course, that leads to the uh, the, the big Mississippi River uh, boat, the, the steamboat, which was kind of an odd scene because they could have done a lot more with this, and I think they had a lot more planned uh, for this scene, but it just turns out it was kind of like the loading area for a, a steam whaler. Is that right? Yeah, they you could see like the silhouettes of the people dancing on board and like the Dixieland band playing and I there's a nice little effect of another steamship sort of out on the river there. So it was a sort of a moonlight scene. Yeah. And then of course that leads to the the western wagons uh, scene with the stagecoach, you know, which is a way to get across the country even a lot faster. But of course, they were coming across, in this case, Indians. An Indian. Yeah, attack. there's an animation, animation loop of, of cowboys, cowboys chasing Indians, Indians, chasing cowboys, <laughs> chasing Indians, going into their <laughs> loop. Uh, this, uh, the Wells Fargo wagon in this was actually a real wagon that was That's 150 right. years old uh, that they had dug up somewhere out west. So it was probably it was their a, most valuable prop, right? Yeah. yeah. I wonder what happened to all this. Uh, after I because know. i don't think they have room in the archives for I all of these things <laughs> well, yeah because they were historical relics so hopefully somebody took care of them yeah i hope so too hope so and then of course that led to the not just the uh, the horse but the iron horse with the uh, the steam locomotives going cross country at even a faster rate but of course the the train got held up by <laughs> by robbers as, yeah, this is a scene that could have been in uh, Western River Expedition, though, based oh, on, that's right. uh, you know, sort of Mark Davis kind of gags that could have fit in with the Wild West. Yes, that would have been perfect. Yeah, because they had uh, off to the side uh, a, a guy in white oh, coming yeah, around to right. save the day, right? But they kind of yeah. had him set uh, staged in such a way where they could have probably done a lot more, or maybe they had a lot more uh, ideas of what they could have done with with Mark Davis's gags. And this was one that he protested about in later years. He didn't like the way they had staged his yeah. gag there. So That's all right. But then, of course, that led to uh, ever more individual uh, modes of transportation with the bicycles. And this was kind of a funny scene because they had all kinds of uh, funny ways of showing uh, people kind of going off on those, like, weekend uh, jaunts on their bicycles including one guy trying to load up on a, on 
his giant bicycle from up in a tree and having a you know being chased by a dog another one the where he had actually slipped and fallen into a pit of mud while his girlfriend was laughing is, is, is that right or I, I might have gotten that mixed up with uh, the guy blowing up the, the tire no there are a couple guys they're having problems there's the guy in the mud and she's laughing at him and oh, yeah. the guy who's had a flat tire and his his girl is being impressed by a fancy oh, man on right. a unicycle <laughs> so uh, there's always one of those yeah exactly so it's trouble trouble for everybody which then leads to the uh, the first automobile, and of course, I think at this point, this is where we find uh, the um, where there's a guy, a police officer, on a motorbike uh, hiding behind a billboard, right? Yes. That's a little later. That's in the. Oh, uh, that's later? Uh, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's picnic that's scene. In the picnic, oh. yeah, yeah, out in the country. This is, this is a bicycle shot. Oh, that's right. This is that the, we go into the first automobile where the guy's kind of tinkering on his uh, on the automobile. This is actually where uh, probably the the most amount of props were off uh, on the uh, kind of like a, a garage scene that led to the big city. Is that right? And this was yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't know if this was an intentional thing. But it was something I was kind of obsessed with as a kid, like a little detail in this ride. Uh, and I, I, again, I don't know if it was intentional, but you go into the bike shop and they're working on a car and there's like an old bike. And we just got through the bicycle scene. There's an old bike like tossed over to the side. And so it seemed to me like as a kid that like each scene would have like the transportation or a lot of scenes would have transportation from the previous scene that had been like popular kind of tossed over to the side as people like adapted to like this new thing. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I thought that was funny as a kid. Yeah. And you saw that a lot in the next scene, which is kind of the biggest scene uh, in the entire attraction that the big city scene where you see a lot of um, a lot of the old kind of transportation where you see a horse-drawn streetcar kind of colliding with a you know, these newfangled automobiles and it's at this scene where you have so much so much going on uh, it's essentially the first uh, traffic jam where you've got all these cars and wagons with horses uh, all colliding on a big city street yeah, this is yeah, the one, the one. Uh, another one that they would always use to represent the ride because it was just full of gags and just such a huge scene. Uh, so much motion, so much going on, and lots of chickens. Yeah, lots of especially chickens. That, that one guy who's kind of, his head is popping out of a, a manhole cover. Yeah, They exactly. always showed that one, I remember, yeah. in the ads. That's kind of... A lot of the old uh, things that I used to see on the Disney Channel, I would always see that guy. That guy would, all, yeah, they'd always show him popping up. Yeah, <laughs> that was always fun for me to look like beyond the main what they wanted you to look at and see like down the the other streets oh, yeah. and what was happening and look at all the different people and what they were doing and. Yeah, this one scene was kind of the epitome of you know basically the rewritability factors because there's so much going on. That this would be, you know, a reason to uh, to ride the attraction again, to see something that you missed the last time. Great scene, and, of, and then that led to the uh, picnic scene that I was referred to earlier, uh, where people would go out on Sunday drives, and of course, then this is where you would find the police officer behind the uh, 
the billboard waiting for uh, mm-hmm. your speeders, of course. Uh, a bit of trivia about this scene. Oh, please. Uh, the car is a 1904 auto car. It's the wow. oldest actual car in the entire world of motion. It was the oldest authentic car that they were oh, able wow. to get. Fancy. That's really cool. Very cool. I think that uh, cop behind the billboard was always so relatable to like all the dads in the cars that would, you know, <laughs> all have, of them. Got pulled over and get speeded. Yeah. <laughs> can relate <laughs> and of course that leads to a um, even newer uh, modes of transportation like the uh, airplane and they actually had a barnstorming scene with you know kind of like old vintage uh, airplanes and kind of like the the old barnstormer that would uh, I guess he was posing for photographs with uh, ladies that were pretty impressed by his airplane <laughs> And driven out to the airfield. Another, uh, yet another car fact: uh, the car, the car in this scene that they had driven out to the airfield in, it's a 1916 Chevrolet three-door touring sedan. It was the rarest car in the world of motion. Uh, in 1982, there were only seven believed to still exist in the world, and this was one of them. Yeah, that's amazing. And of course, I always loved that scene. Sorry, I'm jumping in. Just the. The faces of both of those animatronics standing there, like he was so smug and she was just so like, oh, wow, he's so dreamy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really funny. I think he would later be uh, shown in the Delta Dream Flight as when they kind of had the other barnstormers that were being presented. I don't think it was the same guy, but same <laughs> idea. Same spirit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fancy <laughs> mustache. And then, of course, I think this led to the uh, probably the I think the final scene, which is the auto and air from the 30s to the present, where they had a uh, f- four vintage cars, kind of like from the third was it the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, lined up in yeah. front of yeah. uh, these uh, magazine covers of different magazines. I remember Collier's was one of them. Um, do you have yeah, the they had show? Vanity Flare instead of Vanity Fair. I remember that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's funny. They had these uh, classic scenes, like I think uh, one was uh, a newlywed couple who had just been married, who were kind of going off. One was the you know a family with uh, with all the kids in, in the back of a station wagon. Um, I think there were. A f- a f- yeah, they had like the hot rodders, like yes. the college kids. The uh, yeah. with all the stuff written on the little <laughs> yeah. <of> the car. <laughs> And of course, I think that is what led uh, to, you know, the speed ramps that that we came to know and love. So we've already talked. One thing about, about the cars was uh, no, on the on the ones the people who were married, uh, they had uh, they had uh, you know just married, but they also had just wed for oh. for wed enterprises <laughs> on the car. And uh, Ward had actually wanted to paint that car. It was a 1939 Cadillac sedan. Uh, he had wanted to paint it pink, but the GM executives uh, said no, said we've never made a pink car and we're never going to make one now. Oh, wow. So they, they would not have that in their pavilion. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so then that led to the speed ramps or speed room, sorry, that I was uh, talking about earlier where they would have various forms of transportation with a sped up uh animation making it look like you're going so much faster they of course pump uh giant fans at you to f- you know, so you'd feel that wind through your hair 
as you were going through all of mm. these speed rooms. It uh, really was a great transition to oh, get yeah. out of all that you had just experienced and then to advance so many years yeah, so into the future. I think they had two speed rooms with all of these uh, various forms of transportation. Then it was the third one that they um, then had that uh, unique computer animation that they actually pulled from the movie Tron. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That was and the last that, one. And then that led you into the center core, which we uh, have already spoken about. <laughs> but then, of course, after that, then they had this awesome gag with using the Pepper's Ghost, where you would uh, basically see yourself in a futuristic, uh, kind of like a bubble car. Kind of like a, a same idea as uh, that you see with the hitchhiking ghost at the end of Haunted Mansion. I would always put my arms up to be like, ha ha, I yeah. see my arms coming through. I know yeah. it's not real. But I still wanted to ride in those vehicles oh, yeah. also. I was like, where are they? Where yeah, can they I were see cool. those? Yeah. <laughs> still but it is funny how it ended up kind of like Haunted Mansion with the same sort of gag as Haunted yeah. Mansion at the very end. That's it's, a, it's a classic effect that, yeah, you know. Go with that, what works. <laughs> that works, yeah. It's amazing how that works. And of course, that led you into the Trans Center, the, uh, the yeah. which was uh, the entire first floor of the uh, the building was the Trans Center, which basically took you to the future. Because basically, you've now seen everything with the past of transportation. Now they're going to show you the future of transportation, including what's going on with General Motors. I loved getting off the ride and it just seemed so vast in front of you and of course it was all the carpeted walls it wasn't fancy carpet but it was <laughs> yes. still carpeted walls and it was just i don't know the the post show areas in all future world was just uh, it was like another whole attraction yeah so i, I really it. enjoyed it. it you guys can talk about all the the fun bird and robot and all that i really enjoyed <laughs> just seeing the new cars at the end oh yeah well that's that's at the very end but yeah let's <laughs> but talk about some of the shows that they thing, had sure. uh, michael you want to get in there first well it's funny uh zanny you mentioned the wall carpet because i watched the video of the ride to sort of prep for this and i didn't get really emotional until we got to the unload area and the unload area was so cool with wall carpet had like that stainless steel world of motion like logo and it had this like accent lighting that was really like moody and like cozy accent lighting and i was like this was like the greatest atmosphere ever it really was it was so cool and futuristic and like cozy and uh i mean that wall carpet is always great but yeah they had a whole bunch of different exhibits and uh, shows that were extra beyond the ride. Yeah, my favorite was, all, I always was uh, drawn to the water engine of all things, which basically had, it was essentially nine different uh, char uh, animated characters kind of explaining why their engine is the engine of the future. It had uh, nine various engines, including the water engine. One was the internal combustion. One was... Uh, think wind power I, I can't remember all of the different ones yeah they had about like any type of like energy you could think of there was somebody yeah. like representing that and basically each one was just talking about the the pros of of their uh engine and why it's the best i feel like i rarely went to that oh, portion that's sorry okay. apologies to the water engine creators 
for some reason. No, I uh, I was always hustled out of here too because I was always want to see this thing, but we would always get hustled on the because you only had so much time to the next exactly. ride, and I never got to linger as long as I would have liked. That's yeah. too bad. Well, I do remember the bird and the robot, which was fun because, and they had a, a, a show similar to this at the uh, the Ford's um, Magic Skyway. Um, with a, a telephone pole of all things, um, yeah, and birds. Yeah. But here is a bird and a robot, and kind of this is kind of like a New Jersey, New York carny bird, uh, <laughs> with a cigar in his mouth, of course, uh, just talking about the wonders of uh, the robot and and what he could do. And th- this, they essentially had an actual uh, robot from the uh, the assembly line of a General Motors uh, plant. Uh, just kind of performing a bunch of stunts, and you know, long before uh, Mr. Potato Head would, you know, take his ear <laughs> off of, you know, out of his head, this robot would actually pick up props and uh, and display them, and you know, which was kind of a first for audio animatronics, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, probably, yeah, probably so. so. Yeah, it was a neat yeah, show, and, show, and like he would ring a bell and you know do all these uh, spin a top maybe I think. Yeah, I, and I'm that a actually fuzzy. that kind of led to the uh, the whole Expo Robotics thing that later uh, appeared in oh, Communicore yeah. West. Yeah, uh, in in Epcot's um, future, if you will. I think it was a fun way to make robots look less scary yeah in the sense that like oh god they're everywhere and doing jobs that humans <laughs> used to do i think it was like oh they're fun and lovable yeah, kind of humanizing <laughs> them yeah, yeah right right but in a good way <laughs> <laughs> but then the, of course they always uh, they showed those uh, aero tests with these uh, f- you know fancy uh, future cars and how aerodynamic they were and kind of putting them through wind tunnels and showing us what that was like so that was kind of cool and of yeah, that was the, a short little show, but it was yeah. it was mm. neat. And I always remember, of course, the lean machine. You know that uh, the little yes. the, the motorcycle <laughs> of the future, I guess, a little three wheeled uh, thing where you kind of lean. And actually, they showed video of an actual guy, you know, riding around in his little motorcycle, which was. The I, was so I was so obsessed, obsessed with the lean machine, <laughs> like. For years, I was obsessed with the lean machine. When is this going to come out on the market, right? Right? I was always waiting. It looks so great. One of the weirdest things that I found as an adult and, like, looking for, like, weird little, like, relics and things, Hot Wheels actually made lean machine, like, Hot Wheels. No, they're on eBay. I got got a couple off of eBay. Because they're, uh, I couldn't believe it. They, they were even branded as such? Machine. Oh, wow. wow. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. So, yeah, you could have your own lean machine, not to scale. Wow. <laughs> oh, That's to look pretty funny. That. And, of course, they also had the Dreamers Workshop, where they had um, kind of like these really extravagant ideas of things that they were basically just blue-skying it, uh, like trains that would kind of go across water, um, yeah this always reminded me of like stuff you would see in like popular mechanics of like hovercrafts and like giant futuristic like trucks that would carry you know crazy things on maglev or whatever i think they even had the idea of kind of like a world cruise ship where people would essentially live on a like a cruise ship that ended up happening yeah 
I think. <laughs> they talked right. about no, it. I don't know if it's still floating around somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And, of course, then that is what led into the, uh, the place, w- which they have now. This is very popular, of course, even today in Test Track. Uh, they would have the kind of the, the modern cars of the day. I think at that time, since it was uh, by General Motors, they had one of every kind of General Motors car. They had a Chevrolet, a Cadillac, hmm. an Oldsmobile, a GMC truck, a Buick, and, a, and whichever one I'm missing. Hmm. A Pontiac. Yeah. That's right. Pontiac is Chrysler, f- though, isn't it? No. Pontiac oh, was separate? part of GM. Okay. And, of course, when Saturn came along, they also had a Saturn car. Oh, wow. And so people, you know, be able to get in and put, you know, basically not take them out for a test drive, but basically kind of see what it felt like to be behind the wheel of, you know, that car that you always wanted. I bet those will be locked now when they reopen. Uh. No one's going to get to sit in the car anymore. <laughs> and, of course, they, they've kept that idea even through uh, today now that the new test track is sponsored only by Chevrolet. Now they have uh, a bunch of Chevrolet cars there. But this is something y- you would see in, you know, car shows that would tour the nation in, like, in your, mm-hmm. like, state fair or whatever. Yeah. They used to oh, say yeah, that this right. was... was the most photographed location in all of Epcot Center. That's that what they would say, at least. Wow, that that's would not crazy. surprise me. <laughs> well, one thing I actually remember about this location is they w- they always had like a some sort of a giveaway here. They had a, they always had a, a desk where people could go to ask questions about the cars. But I remember I they had like a free Atlas giveaway, where I I remember I, yes. I filled out a card and I actually got this. The uh, the General Motors Vacation Road Atlas. This is the original, <laughs> and, and f- I'm a huge Atlas guy, so I've I've practically torn this thing to shreds. But you'll see the GM logo right up here in the top corner. Uh, it's got little pictures of, of Disneyland on the front and back. But yeah, this is where I got my Road Atlas. Is from that, and I think uh, Michael, you have on your website uh, several videos that you would be able to uh, fill out a card and they would send you a VHS. Am, am I right? Yeah. Which yeah. as a kid was like the like greatest the deal in the world. world. You get like oh, yeah. a free video. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> and and it would be like, videos, and they're awesome. They're great. It was like a little, like they'd give a little tour of Epcot and then, you know, plug the pavilion and everything. It was and... a tour of all of Disney world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't wow. so, it wasn't so uh, like heavy-handed where it would be like, "Here, buy our GM cars." Not at all. It was kind of like a, a great kind of like a Walt Disney World showcase, and they just happened to have little hints like this family would, uh, of course, you know, get you know leave Epcot for the day, and their their Buick would be right there at the front of the <laughs> of the park, right? And they'd hop in and drive to the uh, to the other place, or like to their hotel, and they'd show that a little bit, and them getting out of their Chevrolet at the Grand Floridian or whatever. So, but then of course, that was a towards great the giveaway. end, yeah, and then towards the end, they would have a, a much more extensive um, uh, tour of uh, the World of Motion, which was mm-hmm. just a classic thing. But I remember yeah. th- that one year they had, uh, they kind of shifted gears a little bit and they kind of <laughs> went this little weird way with uh, kind of like a child Leonardo da Vinci. Do you remember that one? Yeah, this is one that I didn't come across till I was an adult and uh, came across, I think I got it off of eBay. 
and uh, this really nutso video about Leonardo da Vinci and, you know, about dreamers and it's, it's really wild. You should seek it out, uh, dear listeners, and find it on YouTube because it's something Yeah, it's on your YouTube site if I'm not mistaken. It's really over the top, like, like crazy Italian accent. It's so silly. Yeah, it shows him at various stages of life, including as a child and as a even a young, I think, yeah, recently married guy, and he's having these dreams of going to Disney World. Yeah, he's dreaming of castles of the future, and it just shows him as a modern day Leonardo. I have a dream of a magical place. I wonder if this was the same era as the. I'm pretty sure it was the Disney uh, Magic Kingdom Club or whatever, well, where they did the Christopher 90s, Columbus so oh, okay. thing. Do you guys oh, remember yeah. that one? Because I have that somewhere in a box, the Chris, <laughs> Christopher Columbus one, with equally as cheesy an accent. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. Everyone thought they they should do explorers or creators or something, I guess, inventors. Yeah. Well, I think they did Leonardo because he was in this uh, attraction, That's of course. That's true. But, uh, it was, it's really a trippy video so I love it <sighs> well what was your favorite part of the attraction Michael as a child and as an adult looking back <laughs> that is hard to say well first I gotta give a shout out to my dad because this was his favorite his favorite and right and he misses this one the most um, you know what there was something about you know, we mentioned how you would go out into that little atrium and curl around the thing and go up. The anticipation of that was, especially after you've been waiting in line, you get into your car, the doors close. It's like you're tucking in for like, you know, a nice relaxing experience. Uh, it's the anticipation of what's going to come. I think that was my favorite. Like the narration starts up. You're just getting ready for like this big long ride. And you know that air conditioning blast is getting ready to come. So I, I think that was my favorite, just the anticipation of what was going to come ahead. It was yeah. so exciting. What about yours? Was it the bull? Probably not. Definitely not the bull. I agree with Michael, but also just the ending scene. I wanted to that room to go on for like another five miles so I could just be in that center core world. Yeah, Even I, though it's it's so separate from the rest of the ride because it's it really there's is, no yeah. animatronics there's it's all you know miniature. It's definitely so different. But it was very Epcot. Very oh my gosh that's true very Epcot Center. Yes. Um, I actually didn't have anything that was particularly a favorite. I just really like the the incredible variety of show scenes from the from the ride itself and the, the, just the vast amount of audio animatronics and just totally different things to see. Uh, throughout and just that it lasted so long it was always just one of my favorites in that way mm. we miss it very much so <laughs> very test much. track does not measure up sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't really have to go into uh, what became of uh, world of motion you know eventually you know they when their uh, 10 year um, contract contract gave up in 1992 they I think they started doing year by year contracts which extended it uh, a few years, and then they closed it, I believe, uh, January of 1997. Is that right? 
uh, January 1996. Oh, 19. Oh, seriously, that early? <laughs> Which is why, like, it's not as ingrained. I like. I feel in the last years of Horizons, I wrote Horizons so much, but I never got that experience with World Emotion. Yeah, so I, mean, it, I think it you can definitely so much think. The end of World Emotion kind of actually gave Horizons a few extra years because they couldn't have two yes. attractions on that side closed. So um, I, they had closed uh, Horizons a little bit before that, but then when uh, when the World Emotion closed, they basically reopened uh, Horizons for a few years just to have a little bit more population on that side a little bit more there's a weird uh a weird little side note here is when we went in like 19 i want to say 94 or 95 maybe 95 uh we were just kind of doing our own thing in future world we had kind of split up and i'm still so jealous about this my brother got recruited by you know my brother who was you know a kid at the time you know probably 14 or so um they took him upstairs to the lounge in the GEM lounge and pitched him with like probably a group of other people what would become test track as like a focus group kind of deal oh my gosh and uh i'll have to like hit him up for the details but it was a different show because it had like john goodman and rosie o'donnell and uh like after i was like tell me more because I, you know i wanted to know every detail of what was going to happen and i was super jealous they gave him disney dollars for his time it was it was a whole deal but yeah i remember it was it was a kind of like test a te car testing thing but you know with celebrities and things yeah. so. and you just missed out yeah and i missed it i could have been there too whatever wow yeah <sighs> well, we thank you so much for joining us, Michael, and giving us these oh, yeah. tidbits and details and this fun Jeff Crawford story at the end. I know. <laughs> I know. I'll we'll have to harass him about that. it. Yeah, let, let us know an update on that, what was supposed to happen before. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'm going to end this with the final narration because it's just so great. Um, as the ride was over, it was an inspirational ending read by Gary Owens, which I cannot do justice to, but no, there's no way. <laughs> yes. Our world has indeed become a world of motion. We have engineered marvels that take us swiftly over land and sea through the air and into space itself. And still bolder and better ideas are yet to come. Ideas that will fulfill our age old dream to be free, free in mind, free in spirit, free to follow the distant star of our ancestors to a brighter tomorrow. Uh, that's perfect. I mean, it doesn't get much better than original no, Epcot Center narration, in uh, my opinion. <laughs> good times. Um, Michael, again, thank you so much for joining us. And well, of thank course, you for having me. Uh, thank you. And we can find you at the Progress City Radio Hour. Yeah, um, it's yes. Wherever you download your podcasts and listen we encourage you to because it's great fun oh, um, yes. Michael and I his brother Jeff it. and on Twitter you're at Progress City USA you have your blog as well which I don't know how you, you update it I don't update mine that much either but <laughs> yours has actual it's incredible reference items old stuff on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah that is it's a evergreen great resource. I, I, exactly I, I go, it's one so of my favorites check him out there as well 
And yeah, we thank you for joining us. And uh, if you haven't subscribed or liked where you can download podcasts for us, <laughs> please do so. You can watch us, of course, and see all of this if you haven't already um, on youtube.com slash where we encourage you to like and subscribe as well. See all our other fun videos and episodes. And please leave a comment. Yes. Or, or we encourage that and like <laughs> questions as well. Exactly. If you have any questions for our expert, we'll pass them along oh, and, yeah. and get some answers. Um, but thank you all for joining us on this episode of Up the Waterfall. See you next time. Bye now.